0: So I realized after first service that being the short-winded preacher I am, I have a little bit of time to tell you a funny regarding this sermon. I was practicing yesterday, and um, I like to practice out loud with like my tone and inflection. It really helps me. And my son, JT, walked into the living room where I was practicing, and he gets on the couch, and he's just... Smiling at me, so I kind of perked up and I'm just keep going, try to not get distracted, and uh, I get to an appeal part where you'll you'll hear it eventually, probably won't point it out to you, but I, I started giving an appeal part and James goes, yes, <laughs> whoa! I was like, this is good practice time, so I kind of perked up a little bit. I got really into it and I started really like like I was telling it to James instead of nobody. And just a couple of minutes later, he gets off the couch and he walks up to me and he says, can we do a different story now, mommy? <sighs> oh, so hopefully you don't feel that way halfway through too, but but it was pretty fun to have James interacting for the short period of time that he was. <laughs> uh, well, the book of Exodus has a story for us that I want to just bring um, back to your memory. And the stage of this story um, looks like this. The children of Israel have been rescued from their slavery in Egypt. They've passed through the waters of the Red Sea. They've been fed manna from heaven. They've been given water from a rock in the desert. And now they're gathered at the base of Mount Sinai And God gives them instruction for how they are to approach him since he's about to give them his covenant with them. And as God descends on the mountain, there's thunder, lightning, a thick cloud, a loud trumpet blast, and all of the people tremble in the presence of God. Well, God speaks his 10 commandments to the people. But no sooner are the words out of God's mouth than the people grow so afraid that they shrink back from the mountain. And they told Moses, you can talk to us and we'll listen to you, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. At the moment of approach, They shrank back in fear. And you know, it's kind of hard to blame them. After all, the description of God's presence at the mountain sounds rather intense. Some of us today struggle in our approach of God in somewhat similar ways. We want to be in God's presence, yet it's simultaneously intimidating and a little bit frightening. Sometimes we resort to the same thing as the children of Israel, preferring to hear the word of God from other humans instead of experiencing the voice and presence of God. Today we're going to look at a beautiful poem from the book of Psalm that hopefully will inform us on a few aspects of our approach to God. We're going to journey a bit through Psalm 100. So as you turn there, maybe in your own Bibles or the Bible in the pew in front of you, as you turn there, I want you to notice that the psalm is structured in four blocks of three lines each, or triads. And each of these triads serves a special purpose, as we will see. But for now, let's just read the psalm together. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord All the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Today, we're going to journey through these triads and see what the psalmist is seeking to communicate to us about our approach to God. So let's look back at the first one one more time, and I'm going to read it again so that it's fresh in our minds before we talk about it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. The first triad of Psalm 100 outlines for us what we are to do as we approach God. The psalmist tells everybody, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Notice that his appeal is not just to the house of Israel. Everyone has access to God in heaven, especially when they are committed to celebrating him. The psalmist implores us to serve the Lord. This word serve is the same word used for work and labor. Here the psalmist is saying what later Paul would say in his letter to the Colossians when he says, "Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." Do you realize that everything you do is part of your approach to God in worship? Whether you're a pastor or a nurse, or a software programmer, or a graphic designer, or a brick mason. Your work is part of what God has called you to do and be. The psalmist calls us to attack the work before us with gratitude that we are able to do something for God. Now at the end of this first triad, the psalmist invites us to come into the very presence of Of God in song. Pastor Josh has been teaching us the last two weeks about the reality of God's presence with us in Christ. And last week specifically, he talked about how our time of singing together in fellowship and worship is just about the easiest way for us to be awakened to the presence of God in our midst. The psalmist invites us to do just this. And it kind of works both ways. You see, if we find ourselves in a moment of structured singing and fellowship like Sabbath morning worship services, we should be actively seeking awareness of his presence. And if we are seeking the awareness of his presence, one of the best ways is to begin with singing. It's important as well for us to know that each one of these statements in this triad are imperatives. They are invitations, but they're not suggestions. This is what the behavior of worship looks like. Okay, so we've seen what the psalmist would have us do. Let's see in the next triad what the psalmist would have us acknowledge in our minds. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist would have us acknowledge the important truth that the Lord, Yahweh, is God. God. And this psalm is not written without a knowledge of the person that that is Yahweh. Remember in Exodus 34, Yahweh reveals his character and his identity to Moses. Yahweh, Yahweh God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Whenever we are reminded that the Lord is God, we need to also remember who this God is. He's characterized by mercy and grace that he feels and he shows towards his beloved creation. It takes a lot to anger him. And he never runs out of love and is committed to his children forever. The Lord is God. And with this, the psalmist invites us to acknowledge the other side of the coin. Since the Lord is God, we aren't. All pressure to have everything figured out, everything controlled, everything perfected is removed from us. We are not God. We should acknowledge this so that we can celebrate the freedom that that basic truth brings. Next, the psalmist reminds us that not only have we been created, but that we were made by the hands of Yahweh God. He's the one who formed us in the dirt. He's the one who breathed the breath of life into our lungs. And thus, we belong to him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Unless we get the notion that this language devalues us, let us remember that with the Lord as our shepherd, we have everything that we need. He lovingly guides us and protects us and continually seeks our best. The psalmist is inviting us to acknowledge that while we are not God, there is one who is. And not only is he the powerful creator of life, He is a loving shepherd, protecting and providing for his beloved sheep. In this next triad, I should say, it is with this in mind that we are to approach our God. And in this next triad, we'll see how the psalmist would have us approach him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless him. His name. We're first invited to enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving, right? The gates of a dominion had significant symbolic meaning to the ancient Near East. Being inside the gates of a city provided you with the protection of that city. So if an an enemy were to approach and you had already entered those gates before they closed, you would be protected by that city, as long as that city stood. With this in mind, it's obvious why we would have reason to enter the gates of the Lord with thanksgiving. Yet there's another function of gates and another reason that we have to celebrate. The gates of a city were where judgment took place. There was no courtroom in ancient Israel Locally, if there was a legal dispute of some kind, the parties would approach the gate of the city where the town elders would hear the case and they would pronounce judgment. So along with protection, once you entered the gates of a city, you also subjected yourself to the judgment of that city. And here we see this beautiful glimpse, a reminder from the psalmist that when we approach our God, when we submit ourselves to his protection and his judgment, we have every reason to celebrate. You see, because the judgment of God isn't something to fear. In fact, throughout scripture, those that belong to the family of God are continually appealing to God for him to judge the earth. They knew that at the gates of Yahweh, both justice and mercy are are there to be received. The psalmist invites us to enter his courts with praise. This word here for praise means songs of joy and celebration. The psalmist is literally telling us to throw a party as we approach our God. Again, remember the last couple teachings. We've acknowledged the last couple of weeks that since we should enjoy our encounters with God, both in solitude, but also in fellowship, that we should approach God expecting to enjoy ourselves. This is what the psalmist is encouraging. In our approach to God, we should be celebrating his goodness and the acceptance that he promised. Joyfully praise him for that. And finally, in our thanksgiving, we are to bless his name. That word bless, it means to kneel in worship. Part of our manner in worship, whether that be in our songs, in our service, or in any part of our lives, is to have humble, passionate praise for the brilliant, perfect character of God. And as we're drawn back to the name of God, let's look to the fourth and final triad. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. The word for at the beginning of this triad indicates that we are about to see why we approach God in worship. And the why is rather simple. For the Lord is good. Yahweh is good. His steadfast love, it endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is why we make a joyful noise. This is why we serve with gladness. And this is why we come into his presence with singing. The Lord is good. In a brilliant summary of the character of our God, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know what the name of Jesus means? It means Yahweh saves. And it's Jesus who brought us a full and growing knowledge of the love of God. It's Jesus who has lived out the faithfulness of Yahweh to us all by laying his life down for us and then picking it back up again that we might have new lives in him. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. The children of of Israel, they resisted approaching God for fear of what they might experience in his power and majesty. Yet we have no cause for fear. The perfect love of God casts out all fear and leaves us with the realization that we can approach him just as we are. We don't need to be perfect. He is our perfection. We don't need to do anything to earn his acceptance. We have it before we even seek it. We don't need to be God ourselves He is God. He is good at it. And he is good. We don't need to hide who we are. We are his. We are known. And we are loved. We don't need to wonder if we are wanted. We're invited. We are accepted. We're even expected. Let us seek to make this approach to him. Pray with me. Dear Lord, I pray that you would continually remind us of this truth. How much we are invited, accepted, expected, known, loved, we are yours. Help us not to live in fear, but to embrace Embrace our approach to you, giving and surrendering our whole lives to you, knowing that you are good, you are safe, you love us. Thank you for that love. In your name I pray, amen.